We're going to begin tonight with a summary of uh, the assignment that I gave you last week. And, and I, don't, I don't need to know who did and who didn't. It's not necessary. Uh, but we, uh, we wanted to look at Matthew 5, 6, and 7, which is the complete Sermon on the Mount as a whole. Praying that the Lord, that the Lord's blessings would be to open our open His scriptures to our hearts, and to enlighten our understanding of His truth. So allow me, if you would, just to give a summary uh, of what that was in Matthew chapter five, verses one through twelve. We see the Lord teaching beatitudes. We call it the beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek, blessed are the peacemakers, and so on and so on. And then in 13 through 20, the Lord goes into the salt of the earth, saying, you are the salt, ye are the salt of the earth. And he, he goes through a teachings of that. In verses 21 through 26, he teaches us the teachings of murder, on murder and anger. In 27 through 30, of chapter 5 he teaches us on temptations and then 30 and 32 on divorce 33 through 37 on taking on giving oaths on 38 through 42 forgiveness on 43 through 48 teaching on love one's enemies chapter 6 verse 1 through 4, he teaches us on giving. Uh, verse 5 through 15, he teaches us on prayer. 16 through 18, he teaches us on fasting. 19 through 24, he teaches us on treasures. 25 through 34, he teaches us on worry. And then chapter 7, verse 1 through 6, he teaches us on being judged. 7 through 12, receiving, asking and receiving. 13 and 14, straight and wide gates. 15 through 23, we read about, uh, he teaches about false prophets. And then 24 through 27, sand, rock, sand, and sand foundations. And then we come to what I wanted to look at tonight in detail. And Lord willing, we're going to come back to these and I'm not quite sure how deep we'll go into those subjects, uh, how much time we'll spend on each one in particular. Uh, pray for me if you would on on the Lord that He might guide me in in studying for this and preparing for that for for us beginning next week. But tonight I want to look at the last two verses of our text, Ver chapter seven, verse twenty-eight. We read, "And it came to pass. It came to pass. It happened exactly." When God had, had finished these things, this came to pass. When Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. In our handout, mid-page, we read it again. The people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not of the scribes. Some of the old translations include this. They include and Pharisees at the end of that sentence. Now the word astonished literally means amazed, awestruck, 
I recall another time when some folks were astonished at his words. Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. Now his parents went to Jerusalem. We're talking about the Lord Jesus and his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother knew not of it, but they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him, and it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions, and all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. Now I remember my amazement. I remember my amazement, my astonishment, when I first heard the word of truth. How God manifested himself in the flesh, and because of his eternal love, he shed his own blood for me. That was astonishing. That was amazing to me. God had convicted me of the sinner that I was, and he revealed his son, the Lord Jesus, my Savior to me. But there was much more that I heard. I heard this one who loved the people and gave himself for them had all power, all authority. He was the God-man, Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the creator of all that is. As we read in John chapter 1, verse 14, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That's John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And then in verse 14, we read, And the word was made manifest, was made flesh, and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Mark uses these same words Matthew uses, yet... <coughs> of another time. Remember, Matthew is speaking as they had finished the Sermon on the Mount. Mark here presents it to us in Mark chapter 1, verse 21 and 22, and they went into, and they went into Capernaum, and straight away on the Sabbath day, he entered into the synagogue, speaking of Christ, and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority. See, he says the same thing as Matthew does, it's just a different time in, in, in progression, and not as the scribes. Now I want to stop there for a moment. As we go into our studies of the Sermon on the Mount, I'm putting out, I'm, I'm going to hang a, little, hang a little carrot out here for you. We're going to look at the Sermon on the Mount, and the difference in how the Lord says things, and teaches those things, between what he, how he says it, how he puts things forth, and how the scribes put things, th things forth. So we're going we're to kind of compare how the scribes talk and how the Lord talks, and we're going to use all that the Lord teaches us there on that 
and, and it was it's interesting because the first thing Roger told me, he said after he, he'd sat down and listened to you, he goes, it sure sounds like a lot of works. Well, we're going to look at how Christ says those things to us with grace in his voice. That's the difference, folks, between the scribes and the Lord. The scribes teach works and Christ teaches grace. So let that be a little carrot for you dangling out there in front of you for our future uh, studies. Back in our handout now, mid-page uh, mid of page 2, Luke describes it this way in Luke chapter 4, verses 31 through 32, and came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and taught them on the Sabbath days, and they were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with power. That's important. That's important for us to understand this. Lord willing, in our future studies, we'll break down this sermon the Lord Jesus brought on that mountain that day, considering the difference between the way the scribes taught and the way he taught. But for today, let's focus on, for his word was with power, for he taught them as having authority. I have said this before, and I say it again, the first time in my life, I heard the gospel, the message was clear of one who truly deserves to be called God. That was, a, that was I, I, I clearly remember sitting there on the chair that day and hearing Gene preach the gospel of Christ. And I thought to myself, now this is the first time I've ever heard about it. One who could truly be called God. Sovereign, ruler of everything. Everywhere else I, I had remembered in my life, it was always, well, God would like you to do this, or God wants you to do this. If you'll just come to this, if you'll just do this. Here, God has done everything for me. He's provided all that I need. This is one who deserves to be called God, who deserves the, the title God. I heard of one who has all power, all authority and nothing can stay his hand after mark wrote what he was inspired to write there in chapter one he recorded a miracle of the lord to show the lord's authority and i have that here in the handout bottom of page two mark chapter 1 23 through 27 and there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit now does that not picture you and i and he cried out saying, Let us alone, what have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? How long did we cry out those words ourselves? Forty years I walked this earth before the Lord overruled the will of John. He goes on, he says, in page, top of page 3, Art thou come to destroy us, says the demons? I know thee, I know thee who thou art, he says. The Holy One of God. He knew who he was, who he was speaking to. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him, and they were all amazed, insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine, what new teaching is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. Folks, demons are God's demons. The devil is God's devil. He holds them on a chain. They can do nothing 
without the authority. That's what the whole story of Job is about. It's about God allowing the, the devil to test his servant. Come, examine my servant, he says. Oh, but you can't hurt him. You, you, can't, you can't lay a finger on him. Do whatever you want to his cattle, to his, to his sheep, and to his property, but don't touch him. Do whatever you want to his children, but you can't touch him. Okay, do, what, do whatever you want, but you can't take his life. Give him boils, whatever. Touch his skin, but you can't do anything else. God is sovereign over everything. He's God. We see clearly, back in our handout, what is the totality of our Savior's dominion, especially in the exercise of his saving grace. In this portion of Holy Scriptures, we see that our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, truly is God over all. Sickness and disease, Satan and demons of hell, sin and death, all flee at his word. With authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. That's what we just read. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. That's 1 John chapter 3.8. And here we see our Redeemer, the Holy One of God, destroying the works of the devil in the life of a chosen sinner by his omnipotent grace. That poor soul in the synagogue portrays every fallen man and woman under the dominion of Satan. God's elect are like all others, are by nature children of wrath. Isn't that what we read in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3? And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin, where in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversations in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Isn't that what we read there? Isn't that the, does that not apply to you and I as well? Absolutely. Yet on the Sabbath day, this poor soul came to the house of God. There he sat as Satan's helpless captive until the Lord Jesus met him in his house and delivered him by his almighty grace fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy. Listen to this. Shall the prey be taken from the mighty or the lawful captive delivered? But thus saith the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away and, their, and the prey of the terrible shall be delivered. Page 4. For I will content, contend with him that contendeth with thee and I will save thy children. I will feed them that oppress thee with their own flesh, and they shall be drunken with their own blood, as with sweet wine, and all flesh shall know that I the Lord am thy Savior and thy Redeemer, O mighty one of Jacob. That's in Isaiah 49, 24-26. At the very approach of our Savior, the unclean spirit and that poor wretched trembled, knowing that the Lord Jesus possesses all power and authority, even over Satan himself, as the Holy One of God. 
The demons know Christ as God in the flesh. They know, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And when the Lord's day of love comes for each of his chosen blood-bought people, we are assured of this as well, causing us to see and know, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. We're complete in the one who's the head of everything, all principalities, all power, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened, made alive, together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, listen to what comes next, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them. That's Colossians 2, verses 9 through 15. What confidence, what confidence, folks, what confidence believing souls ought to have in such a Savior. No weapon formed can, can, can prosper against us. Isaiah 45, 17. It says, No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the saints of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. No temptation can destroy us. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will, will with temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under our heels shortly, as we read in Romans 16, 20, and the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. He who loved us and gave himself for us is the absolute sovereign monarch of the universe. We may safely trust him. He is too wise to err, too good to do wrong, and too strong to fail. Matthew 28, 18, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. He is the head of all principality and power, as we read a moment ago in Colossians. Listen to Romans 11, 33-36, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor, or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him? For of him, and through him, and to him, are all things to be, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Is this not the prayer of his saints? 
those who have experienced His grace? Do we not have this desire that by His power others will come to Him as He has purposed? The Apostle Paul had this same desire, and when the Lord blessed him with knowledge of those who had the gospel preached to them and were converted, the Spirit inspired Paul to write these words to the Ephesians, chapter 1, beginning at verse 15, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto the saints, page 7, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. When we discover a work of God's grace in other people, it always leads us to two special responses. First, we give thanks to God for them because this life and love in them is not a product of their merit, but a gift of God as it is to yours and mine. Secondly, we pray for them. Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ, just as we did in the beginning of tonight's message, in the beginning of tonight's service. In these next verses, Paul gives us a summary of his prayers to God on their behalf. And we read verses 17 through 19 of Ephesians 1, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Do you see the grace here, folks? Do you see the grace that God speaks? That's not what the scribes spoke of. This is what this difference between the, 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 the amazement, the astonishment of the authority that Christ spoke of, the difference between that and the scribes going on in our handout there, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power. <clears throat> that the eyes of your understanding may be flooded with light and understanding, that you might see. This is talking about that. This is our prayer for our brothers and sisters, that you might see the sinfulness of your sin, the depth of your depravity. Secondly, the insufficiency of your own righteousness. And then thirdly, the beauty and the glory and suitableness of Christ as our Redeemer and our Lord, that we might see this power of God in our conversion and our faith, the power that regenerated us, the power of God that raised us from the dead and formed Christ in us, page 7. It goes on to say in verses 13 through 15 of Colossians, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way. That's, this, that's the, the law, the, the law of Moses, the, the ordinances that were contrary to, to the Spirit, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Back in Ephesians, we read in verse 20, 
which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. This power of God that quickened us and made us to live spiritually is compared with the power which raised God, raised Christ from the dead. Christ was raised for our justification as our representative. We live because he lives, and we are free from sin because our surety, who bore our sins, is now free from them in heaven. But there's a likeness between his resurrection and our quickening. His resurrection is called a begetting. He is the first begotten from the dead. Our regeneration is termed as a begetting in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Secondly, his human body was lifeless as natural men are without spiritual life. His human body could not raise itself as we cannot give ourselves life. His resurrection was the pure, unaided work of God as is our regeneration. Listen to, again, Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you hath he quickened, made alive, raised from the dead, who were dead in trespasses and sins, Fifthly, his resurrection led to his exaltation at the right hand of God and is where in our representative Christ, we who are regenerated are already seated. That's what we read in verse 6 of Ephesians 2. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Page 8. Going on in... Ephesians chapter 1, we read in verse 21 through 23, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Christ our Lord, because of his finished work, is exalted far above all rule or authority. He is above all power and dominion in heaven, earth, and hell, and above every name that is named or title that can be conferred in this world or the world to come. Colossians 1, verse, 1, verse 16 and 18, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by, all, by him all things consist. Philippians 2, verses 8 through 11, And being found in a fashion of as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in the earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He has authority over all, especially his church. Christ has a 
all authority. Listen to John 17, 2. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Christ is the supreme head of his church. This headship is an honorable, glorifying gift to him as mediator. But it is also a grace gift to the church. For he, our Savior, the Lord Jesus, rules for our good. Isn't that what we read in Romans 8, 28 through 20? Uh, not 25 through 35, I think it is. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called... Them he also justified. Notice who it is that's doing the work here. Our sovereign God has it all worked out for us. Them he also justified. In whom he justified, them he will also glorify. He also glorified. What shall we say then to these things? If our God is supreme ruler over all things and, and we have nothing to worry about, if we, have, if we know that all things are for our good, what shall we say then for these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. And this is the gospel, folks. This is the gospel message. This is the blood message that needs to be heard by God's ministers and every message. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? He's all sovereign. He's all powerful. He speaks to you and I as one of authority. Not like the religious men of the world who say, come forth and do something. God's done all he can. He's waiting for you. But Christ has done it all. He speaks to you and I with full authority as God in the flesh. These are the inspired words of God who, shall, who has all authority. He performs all offices for our salvation and he communicates all good things to us. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Psalms chapter 8 verse 9.